Well, we are in the middle of, uh, well, kind of towards the tail end of a sermon series entitled A Rule for Life. We're talking about uh, spiritual disciplines, things, rules, things we can give ourselves to that uh, we can better receive and hear from God as He molds and shapes our lives. And this morning, we turn our attention to actually our final rhythm, our last one. Uh, today we're going to be talking about everyone's favorite subject, giving, uh, talking about giving, uh, specifically about giving financially. Um, next week we're going to talk, talk about serving, what does it mean to give of our time to the church, but this morning we're going to talk about financially. Uh, what does the Bible say about giving? Now, as I said, this is kind of our last rhythm, and it's in the last group of rhythms that we've called our outward devotions, uh, which... Uh, we refer to as being aware of and attentive to others within the church and the world. Uh, These outward rhythms that we think if we give ourselves to, it will make us, really what the Bible is trying to show us, be more human. To be what God created us to be. God has created a new world when Jesus was when Jesus died and was resurrected from the grave, like a new time began. And now, this is what it means to be a human. This is what it means to be as God has intended us to be. And these outward devotions help us remind ourselves and actually form us into being those type, that type of person. What is giving? If we were to have a definition for it, the rule of life says this, support of the larger mission financially and tangibly. And it goes on a little deeper to talk about um, giving. And it says this, Our mission of love is designed to multiply disciples and churches. This multiplication to more peoples and places happens as we give our time and service. So we are committed to give financially in regular service in a number of ways, ranging from music to IT to teaching to greeting etc. Money and service, kind of what this rhythm is about. But this morning, we're going to talk primarily about the financial aspect. So if you have your Bibles, turn them with me as Brittany read for, uh, for us to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now let me give you um, a few back. This is really a really interesting chapter, especially here at the beginning. So we're going to primarily look at 6 all the way down through 15, but it's important to know a little bit about the beginning. Um, there's a famine in Jerusalem during this time. Uh, so one of the churches is suffering. People are starving. They don't have enough food to eat. And the Corinthian church, uh, on their own, just kind of steps up and writes a letter and says, look, we want to give. Uh, we want to be a part of the relief effort. We're going to take up an offering, and we're going to give it to you guys. Now, if you read verses 1 through 5, <laughs> it is a real kind of down-to-earth, nitty-gritty kind of text. You'll read here, Paul says, look, I'm really excited that you want to give, um, but I kind of know how this goes, so I'm going to send a few guys ahead of time to kind of make sure you guys uh, really do want to give, because we're going to show up with these other people, and I don't want to show up, and then you guys not really have done it, and then it's going to be super awkward for everyone involved. Um, So what I'm going to do is I'm going to send some guys up ahead just to make sure you've got it all squared away so that when we get there, it's not this really awkward um, moment, and it's just a really good reminder of how down-to-earth and real our faith is. Paul is a man operating, working. He knows people. He knows sometimes we're quick to uh, over-promise and under-deliver. Um, 
But the one thing that is really important, and the thing that really focuses in here is, and you'll get this in verses 1 through 5, the readiness of the people to give. If you look at verses 1 through 5, there's a few adjectives um, that Paul uses to describe kind of their giving. And this is a model for us as we think of, okay, what should our attitude be towards our possessions? What should they be towards money? Now, in America, this is an awkward question. Um, I've talked with a few missionaries, some in China, and I asked them, what's the biggest difference? Like, you know, you hear all the stories, persecuted, underground, having to like, you know, spend like a month's salary just to get one page of the Bible so that they can copy it. And what's the biggest difference here? And he said, really, the biggest difference is kind of the money thing. Um, In other places, it's just not that big of a deal to talk about. Um, It's not this kind of personal, private thing. But it seems to be in America, when you talk about money, people kind of get a little antsy and get a little nervous. And there's good reason for that. But, But this passage, I think, could be a good model for us as to our attitude towards giving. Now look at a few of these verbs that we kind of drew our attention to in verses 1 through 5. In verse 2 he says, your readiness. These people were ready to give. He says that their zeal had stirred them up and stirred up other churches in the area and that they were ready to give a willing gift. In fact, that's how the verse begins. That Paul says, hey, I don't even really have to write you guys and talk about giving. You're already excited and ready to do that. And there at the end, right there at verse 5, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an extraction. So these people were eager and excited to give. It wasn't this thing that they had to like dig down and kind of do begrudgingly they were ready and willing they were zealous to do this so let's look at what this means what does this generous readiness willingness to give what does this mean for us and if that should be our demeanor right maybe you sit here and you go okay when it comes time to give okay yeah that's what god calls me to do i want to give but above and beyond that i get a little nervous um If that's our attitude today, that's okay. But let's see what the Bible has to say about this. Let's go to verses 6 and 7. Now, sometimes Paul makes it easy for uh, preachers. Here at verse 6, the point is this. So um, he kind of tells them about, you know, verses 1 through 5, about their willingness, about their heart to give. And he's kind of encouraging them. But he gives them a little bit of warning. Hey, I want to make sure you're really on board with this. And then in verse 6, he says, okay, here's the point. The point of giving, notice Paul hasn't talked anything about a monetary amount, right? He hasn't said, okay, well, I feel like the Lord's telling me that you need to give this much amount of money. No, he's commending them on their hearts. The heart behind giving is really what matters. The heart behind our finances, the way we think about contributing to the church, helping the poor, helping people, it's the heart behind it that really matters matters. Paul writes this in verse 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. A few things we can pull from this 
Look at verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Some other places uh, where it talks about this word bountifully, it can be translated as blessed or a blessing. So once again, it's more this focus on it's the heart behind giving, right? Bountifully. We might think, well, that means you need to give a lot. Well, if the Lord's laid on your heart, yeah, you need to, to be gracious in that. You need to give bountifully. But it's really blessed. He who sows blessed, right? He who blesses a lot. People who are generous are going to reap blessings. They're going to reap that. They're going to reap the blessings. They're going to receive what they have poured out. The heart behind giving. Now, if we think about sowing and reaping, we don't necessarily think about it much today because we don't really have to do a lot of that. But back then, when they would sow, when they would plant seed, and I, I see this in my own heart too when I think about oftentimes when I give. When they sowed a, a field, they didn't walk around and go, okay, let me make sure everything is lined up here perfectly. Okay, I got to make sure, all right, everything's pulled away. I got to make sure this is right. I got to make sure everything's, and I begin to think about myself. How many times do I seek to give to something? And I'm like, well, let me check and make sure this is legit, right? This person, you know, me, they might use this for something wrong or they might, okay, well, let me, you know, check their taxes, make sure this is a legit place. Okay, let me, no, like when they sowed, they just walked around and just flung it. They just threw it out everywhere. And they're like, well, I hope this falls on some good soil. If you think about uh, way back when Jesus, when we talked about the parable of the sower in, Matt, in the book of Mark. But they were super generous. So they're just kind of flinging the seed. And this is kind of the mindset that Paul is talking about. We're giving. We're generous people who love to give, who love to bless, who love to bless people with the things God has given us. Now, yes, it matters to be generous, but what matters more is the heart. Look at verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, some of us might be tempted to go, well, I shouldn't give then if it's reluctantly. <laughs> I shouldn't give then if I don't really want to, right? That's kind of what you're saying. Well, it's a little bit of a warning <laughs> that you should want to grow in this. The heart behind giving is what matters. Listen to what it says about in the Old Testament, and it alludes to this passage here in Corinthians. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 15. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be begrudging when you give to him. Because for this the Lord will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. Now, I don't have time to continue reading all this and give you a little bit of the backstory, but, um, but what he's talking about here is giving in the Old Testament, right? They had a land, they had a country, and there were visitors coming in, sojourners, aliens. There were Israelites who kind of fell on hard times, and God was telling them, give, give freely, not begrudgingly, give to people who need it. Now, it's interesting if you continue reading. In the Old Testament, in the land, they had this thing called the year of Jubilee, where every seven years, I believe it was, they would forgive all debts, right? That would be nice. They just said, okay, everything's forgiven. All the land goes back to the original people. It's kind of like a little bit of a reset. 
Now, if you continue reading in this passage, God knows their heart so well that he says, he says, look, don't just look at them and go, well, you know, Jubilee's right around the corner, so they're going to be forgiven anyway, so they'll be okay. They'll figure it out, right? I know oftentimes, unfortunately, sometimes that's, that's my deal, right? Don't we have like a government program to help these people? Like, hey, isn't there like somewhere down the road they can go? Like, do I really have to do this? But that's what they were doing. The Israelites were doing it. They were going, well, hey, your Jubilee's in two years. They're going to be forgiven. Hey, let's just go about our business and the Lord will straighten it all out. But he rebukes them and says, give freely and your heart shall not be grudgingly when you give to him. So the heart behind giving really matters. In fact, Jesus said, where your heart is, where your treasure is, there your heart shall be also. Money has this kind of weird, strange thing attached to us. But we can use it in a way, I believe, that can mold and shape our hearts, right? If we were to open up everyone's checkbook and look at it, we'd get a pretty good view of what you value, what you think is important. If we were to open up the church books, we would say, okay, this is what this church values. So how can we begin to maybe shape and mold our hearts? Well, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart shall be also. If you had to have some work done on your house and it was $50 to mow the yard, okay, we pay the guy $50, he mows the yard. We're not really super concerned with it, right? We pull up, okay, looks good, nothing bad, all right? If you paid someone $50,000 to remodel your house, you would really care about <laughs> the work they did on your house, right? Because you're giving them a large amount of money. You would be attentive to and caring about the work that they did. God knows this. And God, I believe, can use money to help shape and mold our hearts. So what would it look like if you said, all right, Jared and Megan, they're missionaries in Japan. I'm going to give them $800 a month. I would imagine you would begin to care a lot more about missions work in Japan if you were giving $800 a month towards it. But this is what money can do. This is kind of the power it has. And it, we can use it in ways, as I said, to shape and mold our heart. So maybe we look at something and we say, look, I know I should probably care more about that. I really don't. Well, maybe the Lord's saying, hey, why don't you invest in it a little more and kind of see where I can lead and guide you. But kind of back to our text here. So Paul's talking about their willingness to give. And he's saying, look, God loves a cheerful giver. We should be generous people. This is kind of the attitude that we need to have when we give to the Lord. Okay, so what happens after that? So don't give begrudgingly. Don't give just because you have to. Don't give. Don't be like a Scrooge. Actually, it's impossible to be a Scrooge because as Christians, we should give abundantly and happily. But what happens when a group of people get together and do that? What happens when a church comes together and says, look, we're all going to commit to be generous like this Corinthian church. We're all going to commit to giving abundantly and joyfully to bless the people around me, to bless the people in our city, to bless the people where Christ has not yet been named. What happens? What starts to take hold? And all this is really a response to the gospel, as we will see. Go down to verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work work 
He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increasing the harvest of your righteousness. What's he talking about there? Well, this is what happens. When we are generous people, he supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing, increasing the harvestness of your righteousness. Listen, the good deeds that happen when we give, when we are generous people who give, they will last forever. That is what matters. The things done in Jesus' name to help other people, those are the things that matter. Those are the things that will last forever. That's where we need to be investing our kind of time, talent, and treasure. The things that are going to last forever. Increasing the harvestness of your righteousness. When we do these good things, when we give, when we're generous people, those things are what last. Those are the things that go on forever. Now, this is also what he's saying. Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Listen, God's going to provide what we need to meet the needs of those around us. That's the grace we need. We look out in our city and we see broken systems. We see broken people. We see areas that need help. We look inside of our own church and we see these things too. God will provide the grace to meet those. The challenge for us, it's not the wealth, right? It's not, okay, do we have enough money to kind of meet all these needs? This is literally what he's saying. God will give you the grace to meet all those needs around us. So it's not, do we have enough? It's belief and obedience, the generous giving people will live in that grace. There's always going to be enough for us to be generous people. So let's get practical here for a second. We look at things like Agape Ranch. I don't know if you're familiar with Agape Ranch. Um, they're trying to raise $650,000 to build a foster care kind of community outside of our town, right outside of our town. We look at our missionaries, look at people in South America and Japan, India, other places. Our hopes for discipling the next generation, right? Our kids, our teenagers, all the things that we want to see happen in them. All these things, we have the ability to meet those needs. To meet every financial need, we have the ability to do it. The ability to meet those needs is well within our grasp. We just need to be generous. And God will meet us there. And God will provide whatever it is. If we all came together and said, okay, um, Agape Ranch needs this much amount of money. The scripture tells us that if we all get together, and that might just not just be us, right? Maybe we need to go out and disciple more people and get more people attending our church. Maybe it's we need to partner with other churches in our city. But for the people of God, what's needed for these good deeds is well within our grasps. We just have to be obedient to do it. God will help us. Now, it's going to take us working as individuals. It's going to take us working as a corporate 
entity. But God promises to meet us in that if we are generous. So if we say, okay, we're going to be generous people, right? We're going to bless our city. We're going to give and serve our city in such a way that if City Church closed its doors, someone other than the 200 of us would notice it, right? That's always a good kind of barometer. Um, Think about it this way. If you woke up and you only put on one shoe and you ran out the door, you'd notice really quickly that you only had one shoe on, right? But I wonder what would happen tomorrow if we just said, all right, City Church is no more. We're going to dissolve. Would our city notice? Would there be a group of people that says, I don't know how we're going to keep going without these people? Those are the kind of generous people I, I, I believe our church is calling us to be. So if we say, look, we're going to love and serve our city in an irreplaceable way. We're going to be generous with our time, talent, and treasure, specifically financially. We're going to bless one another. We're going to bless people around us, knowing that God's going to meet our needs. What will happen? What will happen at a church like that? Verses 11 and 12, listen to what Paul says will happen. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also an overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. That just seems to make sense, right? If we are generous people who are really reaching out, really helping meet needs in our city, it's going to grow in our worship. We will begin to worship God more. It's not just about meeting needs, right? Okay, yeah, there's a need. I met it. It's about the more we do that, it's about worship. Our worship will grow. Right now, if I said all 200 of us, we're going to raise $650,000 and help this Agape Ranch, get going and get rolling. I mean, I'm, you know, owe me a little faith. I'd be like, yeah, there's no way we're going to raise $650,000, right? But what if the Lord did it? Would we just go, oh, all right, we met the need. <laughs> no, I imagine we would look at each other in the face and be like, can you believe God did this? And when we're generous people and we're meeting needs, Paul says that is what will happen. More worship God will get more worship. Now, I hate to break this to you or not, but that's what the Christian life is about. (laughs) It's about increasing the worship of God. Because here's the deal. Um, Hard times are probably always going to come, right? Sometimes we're going to have plenty. Sometimes we're not going to have enough. God's going to find a way to meet us and help us. But we'll always be able to worship. And the more generous we are, the more that worship will continue to grow. Okay, so first, worship will increase. Secondly, God will get more glory. Verse 13. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that came from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. So God's worship will increase, but also God will get more glory. When we meet people's needs, they will glorify God. Maybe not all of them, but God will inevitably get more glory. The Corinthians' embrace of the gospel 
right? So they've embraced the gospel. Okay, I know I need to be a generous people. I need to give. I need to be generous as God has been generous to me. That causes God to get more glory as we plant churches in different places, as we cover more vulnerable people in our city. God will inevitably get more glory. Thirdly and finally, what will happen is, and this is probably an unanticipated outcome, is that there will be more unity inside the church. In verse 14, he says this, While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace upon you. So this church that's in Jerusalem, right? This is what's going on. They're starving. They can't take care of themselves. This Corinthian church meets that need. Well, what happens? Then that church begins to really start praying for the Corinthian church. And then there's just more unity. And that will happen with, uh, with us as we rally together to meet needs in our city and in our church. So the church-wide benefits when we give willingly and graciously it's remarkable more thanksgiving towards god more glory to god and more unity inside of our own church so what's a practical suggestion right every one of these we've come up with uh kind of ways to kind of walk this out serve financially serve and financially give to your local church every week okay so how do I do that? Here's a starting point. Prayerfully decide the amount of money you want to give on a weekly basis. Follow through on Sundays or online. Prayerfully determine the specific way you want to support the church's ministry every Sunday, whether a formal role or informally by bringing friends or greeting guests before or after service. Follow through according to the grace he supplies. We'll talk about that a little bit next week. Let us pray.